Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ecoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ecoegt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. Good morning. Welcome to church today. Thank you so much for being with us. If you're online joining us, thank you for tuning in. I'm excited. We are 12 days away from Christmas. This year, man, it's been a long year. And, uh, but I'm so excited. Christmas, I love it. I got a two year, uh, almost two-year-old son. So I feel like this is like my first real Christmas with him. The first time, he, he had no interest. He drooled on a couple toys and that was it. But this time he understands a little bit more. But I really think next year when he's about three, that's where it's like it doesn't get any better than that. Like he will have like full understanding of everything. So we're really excited about that. But as I was just getting into the holiday spirit, I remembered a story of that I had heard years ago. I don't know where I heard it, but it was a, it's a, just a great Christmas story, and it really reminded me of my son. And I have a feeling as he gets older, I may have a dealing with this type of story. So I want to share that story with you this morning. It's about a boy about eight years old. He's on his way home from school, last day of school before Christmas break, and he's walking home, and he sees the nicest bicycle he has ever seen in his life. He is like, that is the one. I have to have this bike. So he runs home, gets home, mom's in the kitchen. He goes over to mom and he says, mom, I have the bike that I need for Christmas. It is red with orange flames going down the side. It has pegs. It, it, it is tricked out. I have to have this bike. Mom, seeing the joy on her son's face, she says, well, listen, if you think that you deserve to get this bike for Christmas, this is what I want you to do. She goes, I want you to go to your room, take out a piece of paper, and write a letter to Jesus telling him why you deserve this bike. So the boy goes to his room, gets there, pulls out his paper and pen, and he sits there because he wants to make sure that it is perfect. He has to make sure Jesus brings him this bike. So he's sitting there and struggling to find the right words. All of a sudden, inspiration hits. And he jumps up, runs out of his room, downstairs, grabs his coat, and he's out the front door. He's gone. He's headed down, down the street. And at the end of the street, there's a little church. So he goes into the church, and he walks into the foyer, and there's a beautiful little manger scene set up on a table. He walks over and looks at the manger scene for a minute, takes one of the figurines and stuffs it in his jacket, and then runs home. He gets home, goes straight to his room, locks the door behind him, takes that figurine out, sets it on the table, and starts to write his note. His note read, Dear Jesus, I got your mama... If you want to see her again, I need a red bike with orange flames. That's pretty funny. I have a feeling that that's something that my son would do. But let's go ahead and jump into the word this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to jump around a little bit, but we're going to start in verse 41. And it says, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 44, 
Elizabeth speaking, she says, For indeed, as soon as your as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ear, the babe leaped in my womb with joy. And now we're going to look at verse 76. And this is uh, John the Baptist's father prophesying over him. And he says, And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way of the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. And the chapter ends in verse 80 by saying, John grew up and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just pray that today as I speak, Lord, that your words will come forth. God, just open our hearts and prepare us, God, as we look into your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, as we approached these last weeks leading up to the birth of Christ, I thought it so important that we look at the events leading up to the birth of Christ. Pastor last week preached a message on the messy Christmas, and he walked us through how Mary and Joseph had to navigate this situation of Mary becoming pregnant. And so right where the scripture leaves us in the situation of her becoming pregnant, the next verse jumps into what Mary does as soon as she finds out. She gets up and she goes and visits her cousin, Elizabeth. And we have this encounter with Mary and Elizabeth as Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. And so I really felt as though that during this time, we needed to take a deeper look at the reality of John the Baptist because Jesus wasn't the only one prophesied about in Isaiah about the coming Savior. There was someone to come before him. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 says, And the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You see, as I'm reading through the moments leading up to the birth of Christ, this encounter really just stuck into my heart. I believe today there are practical steps that we can see for our responsibility of God to God as Christians during this time. Because this isn't just a time for us to be rememorative of the birth. This is a time for us to be proactive in our walk with the Lord. John was the forerunner of the first coming of Christ. We are the forerunners of the second coming of Christ. God has entrusted the second coming of Christ to be ushered in by his church. We are to preach about the second coming of the Lord. We are to preach salvation unto the world. He chose a church that was imperfect. He chose you and me with all of the stuff going on in our lives, all of the imperfections that we have, all of the mistakes we made. He said, you are the vessel that I'm going to use. You are how I'm I am going to come again. I am going to use you to announce my next coming. So I believe this Christmas we have a Christmas mission. 
title of my sermon today is a Christmas mission. We are not just remembering what took place 2,000 years ago, but we are playing an active role in the unfoldings of God's plan for humanity. We have an urgent message because I believe this. We are in the last days of the last days. I believe that before long, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is going to come. I believe it will happen in my lifetime, but I know this. I am desperate to see people saved. I am desperate to see the world reached for him. So we see today we have some shared characteristics with John the Baptist. God calls forth these things out of John the Baptist, and he does these things, and the same traits that John the Baptist had, preparing the way for the first coming, I believe are traits that we need as we actively pursue the second coming of Christ. But I wanna stop here and really uh, look at something very quickly. In the, in the scriptures, it's, it's John's father prophesying over his son. And that stuck out to me as a father because there's something that happens when fathers speak life over their children. There's something that happens when they say, I'm looking past the things that you've done. I'm looking past the attitudes that you have, and I'm going to call forth life from you. I'm going to call forth destiny in you. So church, we need to understand as fathers, if you're a father in this house, this Christmas season, call forth life in your children. Speak over your children. Encourage your children. Our words are so important to them. But I believe today God is calling purpose out of his children. God is calling purpose out of us. He doesn't want us just to stay in the same old, same old. He wants us to develop ourselves and go further. He wants us to be the best that we can be. So the first characteristic that we find in John the Baptist that I believe is characteristics that we should want to have is he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 41, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in this verse alone, you could preach a sermon. In this verse alone, so much is taking place. It is so powerful, and I wish I could spend more time, but if I spent too much time here, I'm not going to get to everything. But something I do want to point out is so important and so key for us to understand, especially in the culture that we live in today, it is this. It was a baby in the womb of a mother that first recognized Jesus. It was a baby in the womb of a the mother. She, that baby did not have to be born to identify who Jesus was. Why is that so important? It is important because his first inspired ministry was to carry out the introduction of the Messiah, which he did within the womb. John fulfilled his purpose in life within the womb. Anyone that tells you that a life in a womb has no purpose is a liar because I am looking at the scripture to tell you there is purpose even within the womb. You can walk in your purpose even within the womb. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's time for us as a church to recognize 
We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. Why did John need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because he needed the authority that came with the Holy Spirit to usher in the coming of Christ. Well, church, can I tell you this? We need the authority of the Holy Spirit to be able to walk in our calling, in our destiny of God. We need the Holy Spirit. And we find it in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Once... When he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I have told you before, John the Baptist baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus emphasized the importance of the Holy Spirit by saying, before you do anything, do not go anywhere without the Holy Spirit. He said, you need the Holy Spirit before you can go evangelize. You need the Holy Spirit before you can go and tell the whole world. He said, stay where you are and pray for the Holy Spirit. Church, it is time for us again to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. It is not enough for us to have great programs and us to have lights and us to have cameras and all of these things. Those things are great and we need them. But there is nothing that can replace the power of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that can replace an encounter with God today. So first, he was filled with the Holy Spirit Second, he was filled with joy. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Catch this. The first response to the arrival of Jesus onto the scene of history was joy. The marking thing of Jesus entering into this world was joy. Church, we have something to be joyous about. We have something to have joy about because we have a Savior that died on a cross for us. When outsiders look in at Christians, do they see joy? They should see that we are joyful in Christ. We have to understand as forerunners of the return of Christ, our attitudes need to be Joyous. John 15, 11 says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That's Jesus speaking. Jesus said, I have come to put joy inside of you, so that your joy may be full. When we accept Christ into our, our hearts, he places joy within us. I have a hard time understanding bitter Christians. Because bitter Christians, it just, it doesn't make sense. God wants us to be joyous. But you want to know the thing about it is joy is a choice. We choose whether we want to have joy or not. 2020, probably not the year that you would describe as a joyous year. It's probably not the year that you're going to look back on in 30 years and tell your grandkids, yeah, that was a great joyous year. It's probably not that type of year. But can I tell you, you have to have a perspective of joy. You have to choose a perspective of joy. For me and my family, I choose to look at 2020 as a year that was great for my family because it was a year where God took all the distractions away from me and he allowed 
allowed me to look at my family and focus on the health of my family and the health of my marriage and the relationship with my kids. It's the year that he took our church and took everything away and stripped all of the noisy things away. And he said, we're going to do more for outreach than we've ever done. It's the year that we took out steps of faith and we paid Jamaica off. It's the year my family was able to buy a house. It's the year that I am able to say that my next child is on the way. I look at 2020, and I have plenty of negative things I can say about 2020, but I choose joy. I choose to have a positive outlook on the situation. James chapter 1 says, count it all joy. That means the situations aren't always going to be good. It means the situations aren't always going to be fun, but we choose to have joy in those situations. We choose to have a good outlook in those situations. Our walk through situations and trials is an evangelistic tool that God uses. When we walk through seasons that are difficult and hard, what happens is people look and say, they shouldn't be happy. The world is falling, just destroyed around them. Why in the world do they have joy? And it opens a door for us to be able to show them that we have joy because we have a Savior today. It is check. There we go. It is not enough to share the concepts of God. I can stand here and share the concepts of God, but if I'm not living those concepts out, it's going to do nothing. If I am not showing people that these concepts are true and God really does use these things, people are not going to have an encounter with him. You see, people need to have an encounter for themselves, but until they have an encounter, their encounter is through your encounter. They look and see your encounter with the Lord, and they say, I want what they have, and then they are able to have an encounter with God. So as Christians, it is so important that we live lives that exemplify Christ. Galatians 5 says, but the Holy Spirit produced this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All things that we should strive to have within our lives. All things that we should strive to exemplify to a lost and dying world. Why do we exemplify those things? Because those things are what people are going to see. Those are the fruits that our lives will bear so that we can share the love of Christ. So first, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with joy. And number three, he was prophesied to give knowledge of salvation. His father called him, you will give knowledge of salvation to the world. Church, it is our job to give knowledge of salvation to the world. Verse 77, it says, you will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Our mission on this side of eternity is the message of salvation. Don't get it mixed. The message of salvation 
is the most important thing we have as Christians. There is nothing more important as Christians in a church than the salvation of the world. It is our driving mandate in life. If you are at a church and the mandate over that church is not salvation, you are not at a Bible-believing church. A church believes that we need to see the salvation of the lost. Our mandate is salvation. Matthew 28, we find in verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even in the ends of the age. Christ's mission for the church is to create disciples through salvation. Disciples through salvation. But why is it so important that people have knowledge of Christ? The reason is, when we give knowledge, we empower the lost. We empower them to be able to make their own decision. We empower them to be able to choose whether they will surrender their lives or they will hold them to themselves. They get a opportunity to choose how they want to live their life. Knowledge is power. Hosea says it like this, my people are being destroyed for a lack of knowledge. The salvation of our families and our friends and our communities relies on our ability to spread the knowledge of salvation. And I really want to say this because it's so important. We have this idea a lot of times that salvation is needed out there, but not necessarily here. We look and we say, yeah, all of these countries, they, they, they need missionaries for salvation there, but, but we don't really we don't need it here. We got churches here. We have, we have opportunities for people to find Jesus. But can I just speak to America as a whole? We are in need of some people that will evangelize the word because they, we have generations that are not being raised in church. We have generations that do not know who Jesus is. We have generations who cannot tell you the contents of the Bible, but we need a church that will stand up and say, we are going to reach out to those people. We are going to minister to those people. It is a sad day when someone doesn't know about the name of Jesus, yet they live in a square mile of a church. It is tough because we have to become uncomfortable with how we have become comfortable. We have to continually and always pursue allowing people to have an encounter of salvation with the Lord. Luke 10, 2 says this, The harvest is plentiful, 
but the laborers are few. I believe so strongly that 2020 opened up a harvest that we cannot even fully understand. But you know what? I believe that the church has to not become complacent and the church has to say, we're not going to stay on the sidelines. We're not going to stay on the outskirts. We're going to get in the fields and we're going to begin to plow. We're going to get into the fields and we're going to begin to harvest. We are going to do our part today because this is the truth a salvation mandate is not an option the mandate of salvation is not an option we as christians are signing on to minister and to proclaim who jesus is there's a lot of people and a lot of ministries that would say well this is, that's not really my lane. My lane is this. We do this, and we're good people here, and we help people with this situation. Or they say, over here, we do this. Our, 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 our goal is not necessarily salvation. We're doing this. We're helping meet physical needs. Let me tell you this. It is not of God if it does not sit under the concept of salvation. Everything that you do needs to point to the salvation. Why do we do what we do as a church? Why do we do outreach? Because we are meeting physical needs so that we can then have an opportunity to speak to the spiritual needs. That's why we give food out. Why are we doing an orphanage in Jamaica? Because we are providing a safe place for children to learn about Jesus. We are providing a safe place for them to learn about the the love of a creator why do we have schools because we are providing Christian education from a concept that is biblical because we believe that knowledge is power we believe that salvation is the most important thing God's not looking for your convenience He's not looking for it to be convenient for each of us. He's not looking for us to say, well, I'll, I'll do it if I can fit it in my schedule. If I'm not running too late, maybe I'll talk to that person. But, but God, if I'm running late, I, I don't have time to deal with that. God is not looking for our convenience. He is looking for our willingness. He is looking for men and women that understand in this Christmas season that we are forerunners of the second coming and our time is running out. We are at the end of the end. And our job is to bring as many souls with us as possible. We are to call upon the Lord. Number four, to guide us into the way of peace. Verse 79 says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and sh in, the, in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. This Christmas, let us be peacemakers in our homes and our communities. You know, the concept of being a peacemaker, it doesn't really fit into our American culture because one of two things happens. And for me at least if you if if you hurt me i'm going to have one of two responses i'm either going to say well you hurt me so i'm going to hurt you worse i'm like well listen we got an issue let's take it let's take it out behind the house and just talk it out you know i i i'm of that opinion in my in my fleshly man or it is the concept of you hurt me i'm done with you you hurt me it's over i don't want to talk to you you're dead to me I'm not going to deal with you. Those are oftentimes the two different acts that we take. 
But God is saying, that is not good enough. You can't just write every person off because they offend you. You have to be a peacemaker. You have to be someone that is going to pursue peace and to pursue an end to conflict. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You want, I want to be called the son of God. Well, you know what I got to do to be called the son of God? I got to be a peacemaker. I can't be offended at everybody. I can't be mad at everybody. I got to be able to get over some things and pursue peace. It's a whole lot easier said than done, though. It ain't easy to want to pursue peace. But here's something I've learned about peacemakers. Peacemakers don't let offense take the front seat in life. We have a culture that says it is okay to be offended. It says just be offended and, 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 and you, you just put it out how you want it. And Jesus says, no, you have to let go of those offenses. I believe one of the most dangerous spirits that is living within the church today and within Christians today is the spirit of offense. It is a spirit that divides and devastates. It wants to divide you from your family. It wants to divide you from your spouse. It wants to divide you from your church. It wants to divide you from those that are trying to call you higher. And then it wants to devastate you because once it divides you, it can then destroy you. That is what the spirit of offense is looking to do in your life. But we have to be willing to overcome that. You want to know one of the most dangerous entrapments of the spirit of offense? The spirit of offense is handed down as a generational curse. I have seen so many families that are bound by spirit of offense. Can I tell you this? If you don't want your children to have to deal with being offended all the time, you got to kill that spirit in your life. You have to kill that spirit in your family. You got to stand up and say, I'm not going to let my child have to deal with this. So I'm going to deal with it myself. It is very difficult to overcome this because let's just be honest. I get offended. I get offended pretty easily. I get offended my wife all the time. She'll do things to me, and it just offends me. And, and, and it just rubs me the wrong way, and I, and I get offended. I, I, I get offended by family members. Family members will do things, and I'm like, mind your business. <laughs> I get offended. <laughs> uh, but... I, I, get, I, get, I, get, I get offended with coworkers. They're just trying to make me better. They're just trying to call me higher. But sometimes I don't want to be called higher. Sometimes I want to be offended. You know, I deal with offense with everything. I deal with offense with church people sometimes. You know what else I also deal with offense with? I deal with offense with God. I get offended by God doing things in my life. And you know what happens? I get offended and I say, well, God, you know what? You did that. Well, I, I ain't happy about it. And I'll, I'll be here, but I ain't going to be here happy. I'll be here and, and I'll walk through this, but I ain't going to be happy about it. I'll deal with it, but I, I ain't going to have a good attitude. I'm offended with you. But you know what? Offense creates stagnation. 
If you allow yourself to be offended, you will be stuck forever. If you allow yourself to stay offended, you will never grow into the person that God has been with you. And church, maybe you don't deal with offense the way I deal with offense. Pray for your weaker brother. But I can tell you this, that we have to deal with this spirit of offense. It is eating away at the church today. We get offended and we go to another church because we didn't like what that pastor had to say. We get offended and we, we, we leave what God is trying to do in our lives. And we get so consumed in offense that we cannot accomplish what God has asked us to accomplish. So how do you overcome this? Well, when you're offended with your spouse, you got to go talk to your spouse about it. You got to go apologize. You got to say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have been offended by you. And you talk it through. You see, so many people, they get offended and then they shut down. They don't want to deal with the things that are offending them. They, they just want to harbor that offense. Listen, you harboring offense does not put that person in any more bondage than they already were. It only puts you in bondage. You think, I'm holding this against you and it's going to keep you where you are. You holding something against somebody ain't keeping them nowhere. It's keeping you stuck. It's not keeping that person stuck. God is saying you need to let some things go. And if there's somebody in here and you are angry and bitter at God you have to humble yourself you have to say God I'm sorry I didn't have the right attitude about this situation and I need you to come and deal with this within me I need you to deal with this spirit of offense and God whatever you want for me let's do it and I'm going to walk through it with a good attitude I'm going to change my outlook on the situation and I'm going to learn something from it so that I can move beyond the offense Romans 12 18 says if possible so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all so what does that mean Every aspect of your life, you need to pursue peace. And if you don't get peace, it isn't because it wasn't a lack of you trying. Every aspect of your life, pursue peace. Peace isn't always going to be the result, but you know that your part was to pursue peace. And number five, he lived in the wilderness till his time was right. John the Baptist spent much of his life in the wilderness. And, you know, I really want to speak to those who feel like 2020 has been a wilderness season. Because I think every person in here and watching online can identify and understand that in some way or aspect of your life, you have been in a wilderness in 2020. And it has not been an easy year. It's been a difficult time. But I believe that God wants to do something even in this season. In verse 80, it says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. God took John to the wilderness to form him into the man that he needed him to be. I believe that God has let some things happen in 2020 because he needed to take us and he needed to form some stuff in us. He needed to change some stuff in our hearts. He needed to work on the heart of the church as a whole. Our wilderness journey is not, not our final destination. I want to break that lie that the enemy's been speaking over your life, that you're stuck where you are and that you're never going to, things aren't ever going to get better. The truth is this, you are just in a part of your journey. This is not the final destination. I believe God is getting ready to take us 
us out of the situation that we're in. I am hoping that it's in 2021 and we're going to be able to get back to some normalcy. But if it's not, I know this, that there's still some things that God needs to deal with. There's still some things that God needs to change. And while I'm in the wilderness, I'm going to let him work on my heart the whole time. The wilderness is the journey that God is using to prepare us. The wilderness is where his character was developed. You see, the scripture is very clear that John the Baptist, he didn't have a wilderness season. He had a wilderness lifestyle. John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. It wasn't like he spent a year in the wilderness or six months in the wilderness. No, he lived a lifetime in the wilderness. He was developed in the wilderness. He was called in the wilderness. He had to deal with things in his life in the wilderness. But why was his character developed in the wilderness? Because God wanted to take the idols of the world away so that he could fully focus on him. Church, it, could it be that 2020 is the year that it was because God needed to strip everything away from you so that you could focus on the real thing that's important, him? Because I don't know about you, but in my life, when everything stripped away, things became a whole lot more clear about what was really important. Because guess what? I can't control my financial security. God proved that no one can. And within a week, everyone went financially insecure. The whole world was financially insecure. But God said, because you have been focused on money and not the one who has been providing for you for your life. Church, we can't be focused on those type of things. We can't be focused on, on our health. We can't be focused on all of these things and letting these things become idols in our lives and letting them consume our thoughts and letting them become the most important thing to us. God strips all those things away. He strips us to the bare bones and he says, I want to develop you. And your character. God will take you to a place where there is nothing so he can show you how to value everything. He took everything away so that he could show me that the real value is not how much money I got in my bank account. It's about how connected I am to the Lord, how connected I am to my family. I realized this, that one way or the other, we were going to figure it out. One way or the other, we were just, it, it, if it all fell apart, it all fell apart. But you know what I still had? I still had Jesus. If it all just didn't get better, I mean, there was some, see, there were some moments there where we literally thought the world was going to end. I mean, think about it, y'all. We got some distance from it, but there were some moments in 2020 where we did not know what was going to happen. But you know what I knew for certain? that I was going to have Jesus on my side through it all. And God wants those moments. He wants to show you what is really valuable in your life. And the wilderness is where you learn the voice of God. Church, it is important for us to take these moments to learn the voice of God. If you haven't yet, take the rest of 2020 and focus on learning the voice of God. Focus on moments where you can hear his voice, hear what he is trying to say to you, hear his gentle call. And I believe when we can really hear the voice of God, that the wilderness is, is where 
we are going to give birthing to our calling. I believe that in 2020, God needed to pull us back from some things. He needed to pull some people, their perspectives back because he said, you know what? That's been your calling for 10, 15 years, but I'm getting ready to give you a new calling. I'm getting ready to shift your mindset. I'm getting ready to shift some things in your life. And so church, I don't know about you, but maybe we are at a point in time that God is calling us to change our perspective. Maybe we are at a point in time where he has pulled our nation back. He has stripped everything away so that we can take a moment and we can say, God, what do you want us to do? God, what do you want to make happen in this situation? Because I believe, church, we need to remember that we are not just spectators, we are participators. We are not just spectators in the ending uh, of of what is to come. We are not spectators in the return of Christ. We are participators in the return of Christ. We are called to go and to preach. We are called to minister in our workplace. We are called to step out in faith and be used by God. But how do we do it? We do it by living out the attributes of John the Baptist. We do it by being filled with the Holy Spirit and saying, God, fill us today. We do it by being filled with joy and walking joyously in our lives. We do it by providing knowledge of salvation. We do it by being peacekeepers and we do it in the wilderness. We do it even in the difficult times, even in the times where it doesn't feel like we want to do it, even in the times where it doesn't feel like it's going to make a difference. We're still joyous. We're still positive. We're still peacemakers. We're still pursuing the salvation of the world. So church, today, this is what I want us to do. Can we just stand and just lift up our hands?